0: Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, guys, I am uh, really excited today to be talking with Caitlin Glenn. Um, Caitlin is a physical therapy friend of mine. She also runs a cash-based practice. She's in the Youngstown area. We both went to Youngstown State University. Um, and she does a really great job of kind of bridging that gap between rehab and performance. Um, she's a multiple Ironman finisher. Um, she won the North American Ironman championship in the 25 to uh, 29 category in 2015. Uh, Her and her husband, Drew, also run an online uh, triathlon coaching program through crew racing and rehab and uh, just an all-around good person to be around and spends, uh, Caitlin does a fantastic job of just taking that extra step to get to know her clients and um, really look into what they need and, and help them with the performance. So I wanted to talk to her a little bit about the physical therapy practice world and also kind of her niche specialty, which which I look at as endurance athletes, and, and I know she's doing some cool things with tendon tendinopathies and, and different things. So let's talk a little bit about the endurance world uh, today. So anyway, Caitlin, how you been?
1: Not bad, Nick. I'm super yeah. pumped to be talking with you today. I feel like anytime me and you get on a phone call or see one another, it's just It immediately goes into what my husband would call riffing. He's like, you two can just riff. Like you just immediately talk shop, you get excited, you flow off one another. So when you asked me to be on the podcast, I was super pumped. I love what you're doing with it. I've listened to most episodes and uh, yeah, it's been really great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's always something good that comes out of our conversations and and a little motivation. Anytime you can talk with people that have like, like like-minded and are heading in the same direction, it's, it's certainly fun. So how are things doing with the practice and COVID and, uh, last time we had talked it was probably a couple months ago, things were going pretty well. And then I feel like holidays came in it. I don't know about you, but like my practice is a little bit different since the holidays. How, how have things been?
1: Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, you know, probably against popular belief, like 2020 wasn't that bad from a small business owner perspective, um, mm-hmm. in the world of my practice, You know, my goal is to keep people out of the medical system and not bring them into the medical system. So it's really not popular for me to see somebody more than a handful of times. Um, So if I'm looking at like what I do on a day to day basis as a physical therapist, it's taking endurance athletes, figuring out what they're dealing with. Typically it's a bone stress injury or some some sort of tendon related pathology. How do we get them better? How do we educate them and go from there? So I don't typically see people, you know, I might see somebody three or four times over the span of six months. That's not at all uncommon. So luckily with the world of COVID, it didn't reduce my volume as much as it just caused different challenges from a business perspective. Um, With that, yeah, I feel like when we talked a few months ago, um, everything was pretty on par looking at the year. And then of course the holidays come, the spike in COVID comes. And I think for the first time, probably like in November, I started to see patients cancel, which, you know, me and you both work with high performing, high achieving, active individuals who really just want to learn to take control of their situation. So we're not getting cancels, right? Like, Mm Our people are diligent. They're doing more than we tell them before. They're not doing enough. So for our folks to cancel, like we know there's got to be some sort of extraneous variables and hello, global pandemic. That's exactly it. Somebody coughs the wrong way. Somebody gets a sneeze. Somebody's child is quarantined for who they sat beside in school. And, um, Yeah, so with the holidays, it's definitely been a little different, and I'm I'm sure you kind of agree. It just gives us time as business owners to look through a different lens, um, whether that's like our marketing lens, our social social media lens, your podcast lens, and gives us the opportunity to do other things, um, you know, typically at the expense of cash flow, but such is business.
0: That is is the beast. Um, Yeah, it's been interesting, you know... we talked a little bit before we started this, like every cough, every sneeze, every, you know, maybe my throat sore. It's like, Oh, maybe it's COVID and you cancel. And, uh, yeah, I'm grateful that people are respecting and and that we're all able to respect kind of the situation we're in. Um, but it does cause you to need to change. And I think that was part of the motivation of the podcast. Like if I'm not able to see people in person as frequently, how do we provide education and knowledge at home? And and I think the podcast is a great way to connect with other professionals and it's been, it's been fun. Um, have you been able to capitalize on, like, I know you have the online coaching platform. Have you been doing a lot of like telehealth rehab, like from a rehab standpoint?
1: (laughs) So it's funny. I actually had a patient the other day who came to see me for some postpartum issue. Well, She's about to have her first pregnancy and she wanted to get a lens into what pregnancy would look like in regards to pelvic floor health and then postpartum. And she's like, okay, so obviously she's in my practice for the rehab part of things. And she's like, so what's the other part of your practice? And I was like, oh, it's triathlon coaching. And she goes, so what's that look like? And I'm telling her it's an online platform where, you know, we're on the phone with our athletes all day, every day, emails, mm-hmm. texts, phone calls, zoom calls, um, getting a lens into their environment. And she looks at me like, so seriously, it was just the best way to put it in perspective. She looks at me so seriously and she goes, Oh, so you worked online before working online was cool.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. I was like that. That's a that's a good way to put it because we started our triathlon coaching business in 2014, and so we've been doing that for so long that it was it was a pretty seamless flow into saying like, hey, I have the telehealth platform. Uh, things are already set up. I've already done consults um, in years prior, and so kind of just getting an idea of what's that going to look like in the world of COVID um like i say i don't see my patients at a high frequency anyways so it wasn't something that like i needed to be super proactive about more so i was happy that the systems were in place and they were there if i needed them and it's also helpful too because being a specialty pt i don't like i said i don't see patients frequently so it might be like hey if we're going to see you four times over the next six months let's do one of those as a virtual running gate analysis, or let's do one mm-hmm. of those as let me see you do your exercises and I can tell you how I can progress. So it kind of helped me reach a broader category in regards to folks from Ohio.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely playing catch up on all right, how we do this telehealth thing, right? How do we, how do we start writing programs? And, uh, we made a huge YouTube library and there's never enough exercises. And, um, that's cool that you guys had that ready to roll and and you're able to to implement that. But um, I think there's a couple of things like as one-on-one therapists, we have a huge advantage, right? It's not like, you know, obviously we see multiple people in a day, but it's still one-on-one. It's not like you're walking somebody into a rehab room with, you know, 15, 20 other people um, where there's, you know, five people on the tables next to you. It's really a one-on-one service. So I think that's allowed people to stay pretty comfortable with, working with us.
1: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Like if you look at the currencies in past, right? Like what are our currencies to our patients, to our athletes? It's to perform well, it's to feel better, it's to get through their days without pain. And then you take, you know, today's currencies in the midst of a global pandemic, and it's trust, it's communication, it's mm-hmm. connection, it's a clean environment. I always ask my patients whenever we're done, um, when we you know wrap up rehab, like, hey, can you give me a review on Google? It really helps my search engine optimization. It helps people find me. And it's a nice, like, honest way to get some valuable feedback. Every single Google review I have gotten in the past 10 months at this point, has ended in or included her facility is very clean. <laughs> like it's always been clean, it's always right. gonna be clean, but right. that was never such a value until the midst of a global pandemic. And now people see that like, oh, hey, it's clean, we have an advantage, we're one on one with our clients. Like we can wash our hands 17 times in an hour if we need to. Um, I really think that's been valuable in regards to, you know, keeping our doors open
0: to what we can throughout this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's another advantage of, of kind of being able to offer that one-on-one in addition to the, the, uh, the obvious advantages of working with somebody one-on-one versus having
1: three right. people at a
0: time. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, so with COVID, um, in your endurance athletes, are you seeing things differently? Like obviously a lot of races have been canceled. Uh, The training world's got to look different. People are working out at home. Everybody's buying Pelotons. What are you seeing that's different now than maybe 2018, 2019?
1: Yeah, I would say consistency and creativity. Those are definitely two things that have been really, really different. Um, What do you mean in regards in? What'd you say?
0: What do you mean by that? Consistency. What do you mean?
1: Yeah. So I, let's talk about, let's talk about consistency first. I see one of two things with athletes, especially for our business. Like athletes usually come in like hotcakes twice a year. You get the fall rush and you get the spring rush, but that hasn't happened.
0: (laughs) And that's related uh, to race season.
1: Yeah. 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 As they set up their races, pick their race schedule, go and look for a coach. But honestly, it's not something that like Drew and I have felt ethically that we need to push. We've actually even had some athletes that have lost their jobs. Now they're teachers, like they're homeschooling their children. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we need to worry about races that might not happen for a year or two? No, we don't. Um, So obviously always looking at that athlete first or person first mentality, which we'll talk more about later. But yeah, in regards to consistency, I've seen two things with people training different throughout a pandemic. And it's either they want to do some crazy running streak, like, hey, let's run every day for – 476 days, or like, let's do this virtual ultra marathon times four that's running around the state of Tennessee three and a half times. Like, there's just so much stuff out there. And I think, as endurance athletes, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in that and want to do it, maybe at the expense of health and better training. Um, So I've seen a lot of streaks, which has led to a little bit different injury patterns. The second thing I've seen is people do nothing, right? So whereas before, like we're always looking at an athlete and the first thing we want to do is just build consistency with training, right? It doesn't have to be 15 to 20 hours a week. I'd rather see six to eight hours that's consistent from week to week, from day to day. Um, so yeah, I feel like in this time, a lot of athletes, they've just really lost their compass. And with that, we lose a lot of the consistency in training. And when you look at the principles of training, I mean, one of the top things on the hierarchy of needs when I'm working with somebody is developing consistency.
0: That's really interesting. I, so how do you balance that? Right. Cause that's, that's, uh, that's kind of a, a dichotomy, right? It's a split of two, two paths there. Um, how do you balance the person that is using that running streak or using these crazy challenges as a way to motivate consistency versus, you know, I, am just not going to do anything. You know, if somebody comes in, like I had a guy recently who's been running every day since the pandemic started and it's, you know, he's not a a runner per se, but he's taken up running during this and he's logged crazy mileage and he's gotten a little beat up because of it, but he's also kind of proud of the fact that he's put in You know, whatever it was, twelve hundred miles or something. How do you balance that? How do you have that conversation of, you know, as much as I want that guy for his body's sake to to take a break, I also love that he's chasing it. You know what I mean? Like he's getting after it a little bit. Um, Where's the balance there for your athletes?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question, and it just goes back to the power of purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is are are they coping with something? Did they lose a job? Have they lost a loved one? Did somebody die alone? You know, Um, is it, is it a pride thing? Is it something that we're going to look back on 2020 and be like, Hey, that year was really tough, but guess what? I was resilient and I was tougher. So I think really it's about, you know, communicating with them and active listening and understanding why they want to do that. Um, And then from there, if we start to see injuries, we can think of it as like, is this a training error? Is this just not them understanding what their body is capable of and then having that conversation? Mm -hmm. So typically when I see people, if they're coming into my practice, you know, they probably have something wrong, something hurt. And that's when I need to have the conversation of what's your self-awareness behind this injury? Do you think that you haven't run for years? So it just makes sense to go run 1200 miles in four months like just getting an idea of how they perceive the situation and if they perceive it as a threat and then finding out how that, how that drives their purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's all about having the conversation with the individual for sure.
0: Yeah. it's interesting. Um, last year, this was non pandemic related, but one of my, one of my buddies, Phil Weigel did a Murph CrossFit Murph workout every day for a year, three, and it was ended up being multiple Murphs. So, um, you know, you're wearing a twenty pound vest, run a mile, three hundred squats, two hundred, uh, two hundred push-ups, hundred pull-ups, run another mile. And he's doing, you know, some of these days he's doing multiples. And yeah, we ran into some overuse injuries, but his whole purpose was building discipline, right? He wanted to have the discipline of doing something every day and the challenge of that. And so it became more of a goal, less of a um, hey, let's stop doing this. And it was mostly uh, okay, how do we help you accomplish that goal? Um But it it is a tricky balance.
1: Yeah. And I think that goes down to like, if you look at purposes, right? Like my professional purpose is very different than my personal purpose, you Mm -hmm. know? So his, that individual, his pillars to his goals might've been discipline, consistency, self-honesty, Um, you know, doing something that he thought was impossible—resiliency—and when it comes down to that, I think it's getting at the intentions of the individual, and that's how we as clinicians or we as coaches can get a better lens into their environment and then figure out how we need to approach the situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What are you doing for the other people? So, on the other end of the spectrum, how are you motivating people?
1: That's a great question. I am not a motivator. Um, (laughs) so I thought I was like, maybe, um, like back in 2014 when I was like, I'm going to coach, like, I'm going to be great at this. And then you do it longer and longer and you find, you find your niche within your niche. And yeah, I, um, if people like aren't motivated, I feel like that's okay. Um, I'm probably not going to be the biggest cheerleader. I'm probably not going to be one that's going to motivate you. Like, hey, if you've been on the couch for the past like four years, don't come to me to do an Ironman. I want to see that you've been consistently training. I want you to be dedicated. I want you to come to me with a history because a history of racing and training, because those are the folks I like to work with. Right. Right. If I see my athletes, however, are struggling, then it's time for me to find a way to motivate them. So I kind of had this rule that I established, gosh, probably like five years ago. And it's like, if an athlete becomes quiet, I know that they need me. So if they're not commenting on their workouts, if I'm not getting daily feedback, if I see workouts are not getting done, that's when I know that as a communicator, I need to get in there and find a way to motivate them. And I think like, one of the best ways to do it is to look at what i call the lee family have you ever heard of that
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um so especially in the middle of pandemic right so we need to look at like when we look at the pillars of an athlete we need to look at their whole ecosystem their whole environment so yeah, I'm a performance coach. You think that I might just be looking more on like the physical and mental aspect of things. But I always say when we work with an athlete, we're working with their husband, we're working with their job, we're working with their kids, we're working with their whole ecosystem. So a little rule I come up with is I like to look at look at the Lee family. So how are they doing physically? How are they doing mentally? How are they doing emotionally, socially, financially, spiritually? And if you look at that whole family, you're like, hey, yeah, they might be physically okay, but maybe they just lost their job and their their financial situation isn't as good, which is going to impact their emotional and their mental mental situation. So when I notice my athletes get quiet and I need to step up as a motivator, which is not my strength, um, I kind of go into what part of their environment do I need to look at? And and just work with them, right? It's tools that we use all the time in motivational interviewing. Like, what do you need to bring yourself better to workouts? Like, maybe it's less workouts. Maybe it's less pressure. Maybe it's two days straight on the couch. Like, maybe you need to let go. Maybe we need to pull things back. And I think that's when it's really important in just creating and cultivating a connection with your, with your athlete and individual.
0: All right, so... I I, that's, that's awesome to, to the awareness of that, that, Hey, we need to look at multiple pillars of, of what's going on in the world. Um, how do you do that at scale? And, you know, there's times where, you know, you might have, I'm looking at it from a private PT standpoint, you know, you might have 75 people on your active kind of, Radar, which is less than most, right? A, a family doc's probably, you know, who knows what they have that they're monitoring. But if you have seventy-five to hundred clients that are you're seeing in a, in a period, how are you monitoring that for each of those clients? Like, are there any tools that you're using? Um, are there feedback things that you're looking for? How, how are they reporting that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It actually, it's so good that you asked this because this happened to me yesterday. I went through my day and I had nothing, like it was a work from home day. My day was silent. I worked out. I actually did two workouts. I like cleaned. I prepped for dinner. It was like this five hour span of just like bliss, like not working, not even thinking about work. And I checked my email and I'm like, man, this is great. Like nothing's coming through. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm present in Mm -hmm. everything else. I got on my personal computer and here, like my phone just needed updated. I got on my personal computer updated my email and I had six patients who had reached out like, Hey, I, one was, he currently has three stress fractures. Another one just had this huge knee surgery, probably one of the biggest knee surgeries I've ever seen. And I've seen some big knee surgeries. (laughs) Um, somebody else um an rd um a sports psychiatrist that i'm connecting with for a patient like i had like six huge emails that i like needed to sit down diligently reach out to and i got pissed i was like what is this i just had 5 hours of nothing i didn't think i was getting any work coming through sat down on the couch to be done for the day pulled it up on my computer and there everything was and i'm like man now i have to work and i'm like but this is how you get people better Mm -hmm. right if you look at there's a lot of really good research out there and it's like the common factors of physical therapy and one of them is the communication skills of the physical therapist the next one is is the competence of the physical therapist right like do they know the material um individualized care and then environmental factors so if we go back to like the first pillar of that being the pt's communicational skills are we empathetic? Do we know how to actively listen? Are we confident in the message that we portray? Um I would say if anything it's just it's time, right? And I have those six emails and I'm like I need to sit down and I need to answer these. But then the next thing I need to do is I need to get on the phone with these individuals. It might take 5 minutes whereas an email draft might take me 25 minutes to write. And so sometimes it's just like, hey, you had a lot of questions. Why don't we just jump on the phone real quick? And I always, um, in my schedule, I always have at least one work from home day and that's what I'm doing. Like I want to be on the phone, um, morning, noon, and night because that's the best way for me to get my individuals better. And so it's kind of like a contractual (laughs) agreement that they sign when they work with me. Hey, I only want to see you three or four times over the next six month period, but in the meantime, I need you to step up in regards to communication because that's how I'm gonna be able to get you better. And the better you can communicate with me, the better I can guide you in your treatment. All so, right. yeah, I would definitely say time. Like, time is the, you know, you, you can't cheat it. Um, but just knowing that, like, when I look at my business purpose statement, like, my number one pillar is communication. And I think, too, like, This goes back to the thing I love most about physical therapy. Like my goal is to teach these people to take control of their situation. And when you educate them and then when you teach them, you see some of that communication kind of trickle off because they can already answer their own questions. And they might even email me and say, hey, I'm going to ask you this. I think I know your answer, but here's the question. And Mm -hmm. you're like, you're learning. And that makes me really proud.
0: Yeah. I have clients that I say should get an honorary degree because they know how to fix things. <laughs> they know how to fix things better than I do sometimes. Um, that's Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, I think, like you're saying, the, the struggle is managing it, right? Because six emails doable. Uh, if you end up with 20 emails, now all of a sudden you're like, okay, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to spread this out? Or how am I going to accomplish this in the middle of the day? And I know for myself personally, you know, when the caseload's a little slower, it's really easy, right? But if you're, if you're cranking, then uh, it becomes harder to manage it. and you and, and I can feel myself drop off sometimes. And I'm trying to be more disciplined in blocking my schedule, right? Like, all right, you're actually going to see clients for this many hours a day, you're going to triage all that stuff this many hours a day, and then you know the other things that you're trying to do. But um, yeah, and I, I, str- I struggle with that.
1: I think something that's helped me is just like identifying the non-negotiables for myself, right? Like when I'm working, I'm present working. When mm-hmm. I'm a wife, I'm a present wife. When I'm like with my family, I'm present there. And so, I mean, you know, firsthand, like you would have asked me that six months, a year ago, having hold of my schedule wasn't something I was as good at as I've really put focus into being better with my schedule now. And I think our patients, like they value our time and our opinion and our education. So if I do want to hop on the phone, I say, Hey, how about Wednesday at noon? Can I call you then? And it's their decision, right? Like I know Wednesday at noon works for me. It's probably their lunch break. They can take it or leave it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky in the sense that I drive an hour each way to work. So those are my (laughs) <laughs> Those are my phone call windows. Uh, that's, that's always when I do that. Um, are you providing them with, uh, so I see my people a little more frequently. Uh, we probably touch base more often than that, especially if it's a live injury when you're doing these long layoffs, are you providing them with like a, a program that they're following or how are you supplementing that?
1: Yeah, typically the long layoffs are just with bone stress injuries. So we're looking at stress reactions, stress fractures, um, <clears throat> Anything like that. And of course, it's all depending upon the grade of the stress fracture, right? Low, moderate, high risk. What are we looking at? What are we triaging? Where, what referrals are we getting going in the meantime? Um, What did you ask? What I provide during?
0: Yeah. How are you, how are you managing that with, with so much time in between?
1: Yeah. So with the bone stress injuries and and even some of the tendinopathies, I can definitely get them, you know, scheduled four weeks out at a time. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing with that is just educating them like, Hey, you know, we need to let this tissue, we need to let it actively rest. Right. So like, what are we doing while your body's healing that we can still, we can still incorporate to, to give you a better healing potential. <clears throat> and so like, if you look at different phases, of rehab processes, like we might not want an athlete on their feet for eight to 12 weeks after a high risk stress fracture. So what can we do in the meantime? What tools can we give them? What, what books can we have them read? Um, and then from there, it's about, it's about just teaching them how to habitually load the area more than, you know, daily everyday activities, but still keeping it measured. Um, I'll give you an example, like one patient I'm working with right now. He's got um, two sacral stress fractures and a femoral neck, or no, femoral shaft stress fracture. So th- that's a lot. That's a lot to work with. Really, what he needs is to let his body heal, and that's what phase one looks like. You know, what tissue are we targeting? What are the lever arms of everything at the hip? And how do I know what I need to work? Um, Getting them into phase two now, it's like, hey, you can ride your bike one to two times a week. I want you to go for walks twice a week and we're going to progress your exercises. And so really, I work with so many athletes that if you give them a plan and you build consistency into the plan, they're going to be super diligent, right? So I always compare it to their training plan. Like, hey, you might swim, bike, run, lift, and do 10 workouts a week, well, we're not going to do that now. Instead, it's going to look like this. We might do 20 to 30 minutes of exercise every day. Once we can load your body a little bit more, we'll incorporate biking and walking and then eventually returning to sport and running. So I just try to get to the, the quirks of like what motivates them and lay out a program that is familiar to what they've had before. And when they realize like, yeah, I can, this stuff's hard. It might look nuanced. It might look easy, but it's actually pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And when they can just get into, it just goes back down to building consistency. When they can can build consistency with the rehab program, I might need them to do things for four weeks before I'm ready to progress, before their bones are ready to progress.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I try to keep people on their routine, right? If they've been, if they're going to fitness class every morning, well, maybe you're not going to that fitness class, but you're doing this in that time block so that you're not getting kind of in that layoff where it's going to become challenging to get back into exercise. I think that's always huge. Do you find issues with, um, like compliance might be the word or just, uh, they feel like they don't understand the exercises or the things you're giving them. Uh, you know, we've tried to do a lot of videos, but even that people come back and, you're like, oh, that's not what I wanted you to do. (laughs) And (laughs) you know, how are you, how do you deal with that? Is that just a communication thing on your end?
1: Yeah. And I think something with the pandemic, like, you don't, you don't ever want to say like, oh, there's some, there's good to come from the pandemic, right? Like people are dying. It's not a safe world. It's crazy. Yeah. If there's some good that can come from the pandemic, um, it's accessibility to things like this, to zoom, like, Hey, send me a video of what your exercises yeah. look like. Um, let's jump on Zoom for five minutes. Like some people just might need to know that they're okay, you right. know? You wanna pay for an extra 15 minutes of, of my time, 30 minutes? Like if that will make you feel better, yeah, let's do it. Or maybe it's a communication piece that we can just supplement into, you know, what we're already doing. So I've done this a lot. I even do this with my coach athletes. It's like, hey, just send me a video of these three, these three passes of these exercises. Let me make sure it looks Okay it takes two minutes from my time and you know, it, it keeps your, your voice chirping in their ear um, to stay, to stay on course and stay diligent for sure.
0: Yeah. I I can hear the similarities in in what you do with your coached athletes versus what you're doing with your PT clients. And, uh, and in reality, it probably shouldn't look that much different, right? If these people were at a high level college or, or, or a professional team, they would have that constant contact and that constant communication with, whoever they were working with. Um, And I think it's just a matter of how do we, how do we build that into their program that is financially, like people can afford to do it and um, also still give them, uh, you know, everything they need to get better and get back to what what they want to do is that's the balance, right? Trying not to hedge that too much. So that's cool. So uh, is there anything like you mentioned bone fractures and tendinopathies that that seems to be, Uh, kind of your bread and butter as it would. is there anything that you do a lot for these athletes like trends that you see in that in that world like obviously you're reducing volume and and taking those precautions but um outside of just reducing physical mechanical stress what else are you doing for these people or recommending
1: yeah i think it's all about looking at injury patterns and um Recognizing different injury patterns, right? Like if somebody comes to you and they have pain from the ground up, right? We're looking at their foot, we're looking at their tibia, maybe some knee pain, versus looking at the pelvis and downstream. Um, I think that's. What
0: you, when, I'm going to have you elaborate. What do you mean from the ground up? So, if like, they have if pain they, from the ground up.
1: Like if they present with foot pain, okay, that has maybe mitigated into the ankle or the tibia. Um, recognizing the difference in those kind of injury patterns, right? Like that might be something that has to do with training volume or training intensity. Whereas, if we look at the level, if we have a bone stress injury and we're looking at the level of the pelvis, um, we need to look at different things. Um, how are their hormones? How are the, how is their ecosystem? Are they experiencing energy availability issues? Um, A lot of times when we see stress fractures in the pelvis, we need to triage their eating habits. Um, Is there an identified or maybe unidentified eating disorder? Um, A lot of those issues come from from energy availability and lack thereof. Um, So looking at, you know, really like what's their pattern of injury and then what phase are they in, right? Like, you know, what, six, seven years ago, you were the one that taught me how to dry needle. Um, is it an active acute injury that they might need pain control for? Cause we're going to see those patients more frequently early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, like we're looking more into the manual therapy side of things, the dry needling side of things. Um, You know, joint mobilizations, tissue mobilization, things like that. And then from there, once we don't have to control so much pain, we get more into the prescriptive side of things. So I guess the biggest thing is just identifying where the injury came from. And then seeing what phase they're in, whether it's acute, whether it's chronic and going from there, if somebody comes to me and I think that they might have a stress fracture, I'm really, I'm getting them to, especially if it's a moderate or high risk stress fracture, you know, fifth met, um, meteor lateral malleolus, um, femoral neck, you know, we're getting them out of my clinic and to the doctor to rule that in, rule that out. So then by the time that they come back to me, it might be eight to 12 weeks later, and then we're starting a rehab process.
0: That frustrates me so much that we can't just order x-rays and get that done. Um,
1: yeah, I would have um, saved quite a bit of headaches this month. That's for sure.
0: In time, right? Like the time they get an appointment, they get, in to get an x-ray, they get it, uh, It's just uh, luckily there's I have some chiropractor friends that I'll literally say, hey, go see this chiropractor friend of mine. They'll get you an x-ray tomorrow. And right. uh, it's an amazing resource to have. But it does suck that we, even though we're direct access primary care providers, we can't get an x-ray to rule out those those kind of those things. Um, I'm going to ask you an impossible question. Sure. So what percentage or, or maybe not even a percentage number, but how often do you think these stress fractures are related to technique running form mechanics versus strength weakness that kind of stuff versus um, programming or environmental stress meaning too many miles too fast not enough sleep not enough nutrition um do you, is that a it, i i think it's an impossible question but is that a, are there any trends that you see versus yeah no
1: actually i think that's a great question i yeah. think this it would be 40 60 so in our in our research in the pt world um, we see about 60% of injuries coming from training errors. And so like that would be training area errors would be things like too much in volume, too fast, too much intensity, too fast. Mm -hmm. um, Not feeling our body properly, not listening when we have a niggle and making it worse. So if you think of that as training errors, that's 60% of why we see our patients. One of my mentors, my biggest mentors, he calls it runner stupidity syndrome. So like, we're just not making sensible decisions. And our goal as physical therapists and coaches is to teach our athletes how to make sensible decisions. My thing is when we look at training errors, it's easy to chalk it up as training errors, right? Like, Hey, you didn't know, you didn't know how to make the right, the right decisions. So how do we dig that a step further? Is it really training errors Or is it that the patient just doesn't have the the self-actualization? They don't have the self-awareness to know that they're not ready to run too much, too hard, too fast, too soon. So we chalk it up in our volume of research and literature as training errors. I like to think to take it a step further and say, like, what made you think that, tell me why you were ready for this? you know, like take me through your thought process in wanting to do a marathon on little training, take me through your, your training, take me through, you know, your decision-making process on this. And so it's like, we can take those training errors, but then we kind of uncover the self-awareness that relates to those training errors. And I really think that's the key in how we get it better. And we get the individual better.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, letting them kind of maybe point out the, the downfalls to, to what might've happened or what may not have happened. I, I uh, it's something that I struggle with. Like one of my worst injuries that I've had personally was a herniated disc in my back. And at the time I was doing a lot of dead, well, I didn't get an MRI, but I'm pretty confident. That's what it was. Um, I was doing a lot of lifting. I was making a lot of progress and I woke up that morning and I could tell my hammy was, my hamstring was tight. Like I knew there was some neural tension. Like I could tension it with my neck and, and I just, I took a vibrating foam roller and loosened it up, got my back nice. And I was like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go lift. Right. And I last set of whatever and kink in the back and drop the barbell knew I wasn't putting the weights away. And, and that was that. Uh, and I like to think I know a fair amount about training and programming and, decision-making, but I still made a bad choice that day. Um, I was so one-minded of, hey, these numbers are going up. I just want to keep climbing that road. But then hindsight, man, that took me out for months. Right. I mean,
1: it goes back to like, yeah, there was a training error, but what was the self-awareness that caused you to make those decisions? Right. So if we go back to our common factors, patient, the physical therapist needs to have communication skills. The PT needs to be competent. We need to consider environmental factors, but we need to have individualized care. And there's a lot of really good supporting evidence out there that shows, hey, when we bring our patients in on our decision-making process, they're going to get better if they're part of that decision-making
0: process. For sure.
1: So if we can teach them, like, let's not make those same errors, the whole scope is going to get
0: better. Yeah. I also think there's got to be a way – to improve that stress the systemic or environmental stress um, and, and work with that athlete to okay, what other factors are keeping you from recovering as well like like you 're talking is there a job stress, is there a family stress is there are you traveling more this month um, you know why aren 't you getting sleep why don 't you feel recovered uh, I think that 's a huge a huge piece um, and then the hormonal balance is something that that you 've mentioned a couple of times here with stress fractures. I've got a couple of clients that, that I suspect we're dealing with different hormonal things and um, where does that fit in and and how do you manage that? Is is there a team? Is there somebody you work with specifically to help you with uh, the hormonal side of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I actually um, have those issues myself, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's an environment, um, whether it's, you know, going through a lot of PT school doing a lot of Ironmans all at once, starting my own business, and maybe a little bit of energy, poor energy availability myself that I dealt with years ago. Um, so, you know, going through that process myself, I've found that all of these things take a village, right? Like when you're, when you're really looking at rehabbing a case that might not be straightforward or a case that might seem straightforward, but as you start to dig, you might realize that there's an undiagnosed um eating disorder or, you know, something is off in regards to the endocrine system, the ovarian system, the adrenal system, you start to pick up on those things. That's when you, you refer out to the professionals. Um, I have a great team of doctors that I work with out of Pittsburgh that I refer to. They're actually called the hormone center and they are private pay, just like we are. They're Mm -hmm. affiliates with the um, Pittsburgh penguins as well. And they are true experts and professionals in this field. And so when I need something looked at, I send them right there.
0: That's mean, you, can
1: go, you can go route of endocrinologist. I mean, you can start with your family doc, endocrinologist. Um, but honestly, I'm batting about a zero with that. So that's why I just bypass all of that and I get them right into the team of experts.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle because you go to your, you go to your, get your blood work done or whatever. And if the, the big health markers are on point, they're just like, you're healthy. And and that's the end of that conversation. Um, but when people are trying to optimize their, their ability to do things, um, it's gotta be more specific. Right. And yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, it's not easy. Right. And even if we look at, you know, going back to relative energy availability, red, red S is, um, what it's used in in our regards to um, research and looking at that, you know, have have the hormone experts on board, have a registered dietitian on board, have um, a sports psychiatrist on board. I was in a four way email this morning between a registered dietitian, a sports psychiatrist, myself, who's a physical therapist, and a patient. Right? Like we need to build these teams. We need to build a village for this athlete because I certainly don't have all the answers. And the second that I st- start to think that I do, I think it's negligent into the care I can provide for the patient.
0: Right. Yeah. I was talking to somebody yesterday about nutrition and I'm like, I kind of know enough to be dangerous. Like I know some things, but when you start asking specific questions about caloric balance and, uh, the effects of fasting and, uh, yeah, you know, (laughs) you can play with it, but sometimes you, you need somebody where, um, this team that you're talking about, is that something that you've built over the years? Is that something your client like has, you know, I think of well, I got clients that have their teams. Um, but it's interesting. Are most of those people cash kind of out of network cash based kind of providers as well? Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, just different colleagues I've met throughout the years. If anybody's looking for a very valuable resource, um, there's a Facebook group. and only has about 260 members and it's called the runner zone. And it's, um, clinicians, coaches, um, dietitians that are pretty well, very well versed in, um, you know, research and what's out there. And, um, one of the most influential world renowned physical therapists, Chris Johnson runs it. And, um, the membership's like 250 bucks, but it is the best resource I have found personally when working with, with runners and athletes. And I've, I've learned a lot. And it's also, I think most importantly is it's helped me find these connections and these colleagues and these resources so that I can do my job better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, um, it's interesting being in in the private world of there's only so many referrals that are easy to make, um, so to speak. And, they're coming to see you because they like that private contact. Like they like the one-on-one and the small group. They don't want to be thrown into the system. So you have to, you know, to find your network of of people is is always a challenge. So we'll have to um, drop a link to that in in the notes and uh, we'll talk more about the nutrition side. Um, How do you balance kind of that, that role between um, training and recovery when you're the coach? So, if you're coaching that athlete and they have an injury pop up, where's the do you draw a line or do you just wear the same hat? I
1: draw a very big line. Yeah. Do you? Uh, ethically, like we, we, and professionally, we have to. Um, it would be negligent for me to say, like, oh, I'm your coach and I'm your physical therapist right now in regards to if I'm seeing you for an injury. Um, so, yeah, if somebody gets injured, like, coaching account is being paused. I'm not working with you as a coach. I'm working with you as a physical therapist. And then when they can resume their physical activity, I'll bring them back on board as an athlete. That so rarely happens. Like my athletes yeah. are very diligent unless it's something goofy, right? Like I fell off my bike and I broke my arm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think drawing that line in the sand is very important because it's such a gray area and it all goes based on the practice act. So, what does our practice act in Ohio say that we can do? What does the PT compound say that we can do? You know, I know I can't act as a physical therapist outside of state lines. Um, so, if somebody's coming to me, it needs to be a performance, a coaching consult. So, I think having those lines drawn and having separate definitions of each really helps me streamline my business and how I can care for athletes for sure. So, like it's not uncommon for me to rehab an athlete. And then they'll say like, Oh, do you have coaching spots available? And it's like, yes. And I'm more than willing to work with you when we finish our physical therapist relationship.
0: Interesting. Is that different if they're in Ohio or not in Ohio?
1: No, I keep it pretty similar.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, obviously the telehealth thing you have to, uh, for licensed professionals, we have to stay within the state. So you have to draw a hard line there. Um, like there's no choice but it's interesting that you do that within the state versus like people that are local. Um, well, cause I feel I, like it would be really hard. Like the, the lines is. would just get blurred. So, so much.
1: It is and it can get blurred, but I think mm. it's easy to rationalize it with the athlete because you're like, Hey, this is going to get really expensive. Mm. Like, do you really want to pay me a thousand dollars next month? <laughs> you, know? you want me to coach you? You want to do a PT package? Um, we, we need to decide where we're going to go. And it goes back to, we're always going to be held to our highest standard Mm -hmm. and our highest standard is being doctors of physical therapy. It's not being a coach or a personal trainer. And so I always try to take that mentality and say, like, I'm always held to the standard of a physical therapist. So as a PT, how do I address
0: this? That's definitely how I, I have always approached it. Like, um, Yes, I have a strength and conditioning certification and yes, I've played that game before, but at the end of the day I'm a PT and uh right. and I'll give you strength and conditioning advice, but um I don't dabble too much into the coaching world specifically. Most of my clients are they have a coach that they're working with and then I'm doing the rehab or the recovery or, or whatever that might be. Um are you doing any like pure recovery stuff? Like do you do body work as maintenance? Like are you doing cupping recovery sessions or needling cupping recovery sessions?
1: I have my handful of clients Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: are patients who will come in, you know, once a month, once every four or five weeks, something like that. Yeah. I've got a handful, but it's not something, it's really not something I push a lot. When I first got into the private pay world, I thought that I would, Mm -hmm. I just didn't love it. Like I was just like, no, I want you guys to be out of my care if you need me, you know where to find me. And some people feel like they need me and definitely know where to find me. Yeah. So I'm more than willing to work within that realm if it's something that they want leading into a race or if it just makes them, you know, feel well, um, move better. So yeah, I have a handful.
0: Yeah. I, I, I definitely have a, a fair share of that now. And I look at it as like check-ins almost, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah we're gonna do some body work, but we're also gonna cut off any like. Oh your hips been feeling tight when you're running like let's deal with that now before it turns into a back injury because your hips so tight you know like right it, it gives you the ability to triage um little things before they turn into big things yeah. so so I love it from that perspective i think the the important part of that in my mind is how do we make sure that they understand that the body work that we do is is helpful but it doesn't like override not sleeping and poor training habits and um you can't come see me and then not do anything else. It's not going to work, right? Right. It's just not going to work. It's probably more important that you do the recovery stuff. Right. All right. Well, good stuff. Um, as we wrap up here, is there any one last tidbit that you wish endurance athletes wish endurance athletes knew, or really paid attention to, to keep them out of your rehab office and, and push them towards your performance?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I would say if there's anything I wish people better understood it would be that you can always take control of your situation so if you're dealing with an injury if you have a question related to training like there are valuable people and valuable resources out there there is nobody better than you to take control and to figure out your situation and we're just here to
0: help yeah dive into that a little more because that's that's a deeper um I know where you're going with it. And that's a deeper explanation than than maybe you let on when you say take control, tell me what you mean by that. Like. Yeah. I,
1: I think that, you know, it's easy to look like look at an injury and look at a situation and say, like, I'm just not going to do X again. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to rest. I'm not going to do X. Okay. But let's dive back into that self-awareness piece because if we Don't take control. If we don't fix what put us into this situation, if we don't learn more about our situation, we're going to end up right back where we were. So it goes back to looking at that Lee family, right? Like emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, socially. What might have fallen off that put us in this situation? And there is nothing more powerful as a physical therapist, as a coach, than teaching somebody that they can take control of their pain, mm-hmm. they can take control of their marathon PR, they can take control of their Ironman training. And it's when we we bring them in on that decision making process, and our job is just to enlighten them and to give them the resources so that they can they can be in the driver's seat. And I think that's so powerful when you p- teach people how to do that because it keeps them out of our offices and more into, you know, the performance side and teaching them how to reach and establish appropriate goals and how to make sensible decisions so that they're not back in our care.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I, um, you see it all the time when the patient comes in and, and they're like, okay, just fix me. And you're like, eh, like as soon as they say that to you, you're kind of like, uh-oh. Um, yeah. if you're, if you're relying on me to do something that's going to fix you, uh, there's a percentage of times where you crack a back and they just get better, right. Or you stick some needles in and they just get better. But a large percentage of the time, especially for more chronic things, it's f- like we're resources. Like we have a lot of, we've done a lot of things. We've seen a lot of people in pain. We can provide education and information of how to get out of pain, but you have to figure out how to take control of that and, and take ownership of what you're going to do to get out of pain. Um, I'll provide the things that you can't, right? Like you can't needle yourself and you can't cup, you know, and whatever, right? That's that's fine. Uh, I'll give you that head start, but trying to promote that education of, hey, just take control of this thing and, and you're going to be all right. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had my share of injuries and I've thought about that a lot. Of like, I had a discrimination in my back and one in my neck where I completely lost strength in my arm and and a big toe and. Um, like, to the neck one, I almost thought, like, I, I asked a professional, like, hey, like, one of my colleagues, like, do you think I need surgery on this thing? And, like, where you were starting to lose control of it for a second. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to rehab this. and then But I don't know if it's just my experience of seeing it so many times, if it's that I talk to the right people um, or what. But it was kind of like, no, I don't need surgery. I'm going to figure out how to fix this. I'm going to figure out how to make sure my neck's not getting tight when I lift. And um, I can't tell you the last time I had arm or neck pain. But I kind of spent a ton of time diving into why it was happening and what was causing that area of my neck to get tight when I was working out uh, and how to triage that. And it worked. But I think sometimes it's hard to get your patients to want to take that initiative. And I don't know if that's just, again, because of my, my background, or if that's something that we're not communicating well as our intention, right? Like,
1: yeah, I totally agree and I think that patients need to be praised when they do these things. Like they're asking really hard questions, they're taking really hard steps and just reminding them that there's nobody better than them to take control of their situation and when they do that, they should be rewarded. They should feel proud. Mm-hmm. And so I think relaying that message is is really important. Like just ask it's hard. It's hard to ask hard questions, but if we don't know the answers, we're going to find somebody who can. Like I said, we're just here as the resource.
0: Right, right. Yeah, um, that's, that's good stuff. And, and hopefully it resonates with people because I, I know exactly what you're saying when you say that, you know, it's like take, take ownership of what's going on and figure out how to fix it and, and reach out to as many people as you need to to fix that problem, right? Like don't, right. just because you reached out to one person and the problem wasn't solved doesn't mean that it's not a fixable thing, right? Figure, right. Out, figure out how to fix it. Um, so that's cool. All right, Kayla, well, this was fun. Anything else you want to add?
1: Not that I can think of.
0: Yeah, perfect. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again here sometime in the future. But where can people find you and and where can they go to check you out?
1: Yeah, so my website is crew, C-R-E-W, crewracing.org. And I'm on Instagram at Caitlin underscore crewracing. And that's pretty much where I spend most of my time. I've got a Facebook account, but I don't
0: use it too much. i got a personal Facebook account. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah, I would say Instagram or my website for sure.
0: All right. We'll link those for sure in the video and, and uh, on the notes on YouTube and all that stuff. So uh, it's just fun. We'll do it again. Uh, hopefully real soon. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate okay, your time. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.